0: My name is Kurt McDonald. I'm one of the pastors at Gospel Community Church. I want to talk with you today about the Training Day podcast. That's right, the Training Day podcast. The Training Day podcast exists to continue your learning so that you can be equipped for every good work in everyday Life. Our hope with the Training Day podcast is to create a resource library for you, your friends, your family, uh, whether you've been a believer for many years, new to the faith, or not a Christian at all. We're hoping that this will be a resource library for you, so that you can learn what it looks like to take the gospel of Jesus Christ and land it in everyday life. So we want you to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us there on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Wherever you can also find us on our YouTube channel, the Training. Day Podcast, or our website, trainingdaypod.com. So please go, subscribe, and let's grow together in Christ.
1: At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse, and line by line to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives.
0: Good morning. My name is Kurt McDonald. I am one of the pastors here at the church. Uh, And this morning is my great privilege to bring to you God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Uh, May he add his blessing to it. Uh, We've got to get to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Today we'll be discussing divisions uh, in the church as it pertains to the Lord's Supper. But before we do that, we've got to go to Acts. Can we do that this morning, church family? Let's go to Acts, because what I want us to see uh, as, as we as we approach the book of Acts, here is what has happened. Jesus, the God-man, uh, has come and lived a perfect life. He died the death that we should have died in our place for our sins, so that by placing our faith on him, we might be saved. Uh, he then resurrected from the grave, uh, showing and proving and, and, and putting on display for the entire world to see that he had truly atoned for sin. In addition, as he exits the grave, he shows us uh, his his resurrection body, and shows us that we too will have a resurrection body like his and will also defeat death. After he resurrects from the grave, he spends 40 days with his disciples teaching them the Bible. He He goes book by book uh, and shows them how each book of the Bible is actually all about him, his death, burial, and his resurrection, and his plan of salvation for us. And he spends 40 days proving to them that he is actually alive. And so that lands us in Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 14. Uh, 4 and 5, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So after uh, after his resurrection, 40 days with them, he tells them that they need to stay and wait. Wait right here because the Holy Spirit is going to come. Then Jesus ascends into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father where he is today. And then this happens in Acts chapter 2. Are y'all with me? Okay. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place and suddenly there came a but uh, from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them and they were filled with the holy spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance now the holy spirit in the old testament would come and rest on someone for a particular time for a particular task but what changes in the new covenant is that the holy spirit now indwells us and stays with us And so what happens from this point on in Acts is Peter, now filled with the Holy Spirit, stands and preaches a sermon. He delivers the gospel message and 3,000 people are saved. The church goes from 120 to 3,120 in one sermon and the church is born. This is what happens and what we're told happens. And so what type of church is it? What so, so this gospel proclamation is preached, all of these people then are saved and unite under the gospel, so what type of people were they? Well, it tells us what type of people or what type of community this was in Acts chapter 2, look at uh, 42 through 47, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, kind of sounds like they wanted to know the Bible and share their life together, And they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing them to the proceeds to all who had need and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the type of community that they were. Particularly look at verses 44 and 45. And they all who believed were together had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings. Now, the, the, the church didn't turn into uh, like a, a socialist communist community. That's not it at all. They, they still had their own possessions and their own houses because they were going from house to house. But they were willing to depart with or, or get rid of their possessions Sell their possessions to anyone in the congregation who had need. So, what you see is the coming of the Holy Spirit, the proclamation of the gospel, the creation of a community, and this community is radically united. I mean, they just love each other. They're spending time with each other, they're selling their stuff to meet the needs of, of other people. If you're taking notes, when the Spirit of God comes, the gospel is proclaimed, and those who are saved are supernaturally unified. When, when, the, when the Holy Spirit comes, if you want to know if you're in a spirit-filled church, ask if they're preaching the gospel. If, if they're magnifying Jesus, that's a spirit-filled church because the Holy Spirit loves it when the gospel is proclaimed because that his job is to then empower uh, the, 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 the proclamation of the gospel and see people saved. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So spirit-filled churches preach the gospel. So when the Holy Spirit comes, the gospel is proclaimed, and those who are saved are saved out of sin and into a united family, right? That's why we often use the language of forever family. They are supernaturally united. That's what happens to believers. We become supernaturally united. Why are we supernaturally united. Well, because not only have we been justified, sanctified, and we are soon to be glorified, we have been adopted into a spiritual family and all dividing distinctions are laid aside. Y'all didn't amen that loud enough. So, So what happens when we are saved into the family of God is we are adopted and all dividing distinctions are laid aside. This is why it says this in Galatians 4, uh, 4 through 7, but when the fullness of time had come, I wish I had two hours to preach on just the beginning of that, when the fullness of time had come, I'll just say this as an aside note, I'm way out of my notes right now, but Christian, you, you are not an accident. Uh, the, the Lord planned on you, not just planned on you being born, but he planned on saving you, redeeming you. He planned on all kind of good works that he has stored up for you to do. I don't have time. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. This is the type of community that we are. We, we are brothers and sisters. And because you are sons, God has sent his spirit. Of his son into our hearts, crying, "Abba, Father, we're brothers and sisters, crying out to one God, the Father." That that message is is in our hearts, so that you are no longer slaves, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Ephesians two eighteen through nineteen says it this way: For through him. We both have access in one spirit to the Father so that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but we are fellow citizens. We are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That's us, church family, united, not divided, together, a family adopted brothers and sisters under the Father, loving Jesus, praising him. If you're taking notes, unity does not mean uniformity. It means that we are Christians first placed in the family of God. So we're saying that, we, that when, the, the, when the Holy Spirit comes, the gospel is preached, it creates a unified church family, creates a unified body of believers. But when we say unity, we don't mean uniformity. Uh, because now in Christ we can celebrate differences, amen, because we're not united in our differences or we're not united in our political affiliations. We're not united in the color of our skin. We're not united in economic backgrounds. We're united under the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we are Christians first placed in the family of God. So before I am a Democrat or a Republican, before either of those things, I'm a Christian, I am surrendered to God the Father. I am under the leadership of the Holy Spirit and Jesus, first and foremost, okay? So, so before I am anything at all, I am under the gospel of Jesus Christ. Before I am anything at all, I am a Christian. I love how um, Dr. Tony Evans, uh, in his book, uh, Oneness Embraced, says, uh, very interestingly, that we need to stop calling ourselves white Christians or black Christians, Now, Dr. Tony Evans is a black man who celebrates diversity. He's not saying we need to erase ethnicity by any stretch of the imagination. But what he says is we need to call ourselves Christian whites or Christian blacks because in Christ, we are now a new creation. Our primary identity is now in Christ, not in ethnicity. So if you're taking notes, the proper perspective of a believer is this, before I am For anything or anyone, I am in Christ united to His family. Before I am for anyone, any candidate. Before I am for anything, any special interest group. Before I'm any of for any of those things or in any of those things, I am first in Christ, in His family. Now I say all of that to say, uh, in light of the supernatural unity that we experience as the family of God. Are y'all with me? In light of the supernatural unity that we experience as the family of God, if, if you are uh, the enemy, what is the thing that you are going to attack? If, if you want to see the church not be the church, you attack its unity. If, if you want to see the church unravel, if you want to make the church a laughingstock to the world, unravel the church's unity. Get, get them arguing about stuff that they don't need to argue about. Get them dividing over things they don't need to divide over. That's how you attack the church and that's exactly what's happening in our nation today. The devil's scheme is to drive a wedge of division into the supernatural unity believers experience. The devil does not want us loving each other. He does not want us supporting each other and he will find anything that he can get his hands on to create division among us so that we are not putting the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ above our own. It gives us an excuse It gives us an excuse to think of ourselves first because of the dividing lines that we have drawn. Sadly, Christians are dividing over politics. Christians are dividing over proper precautions in the pandemic. Christians are dividing over social justice issues. It's it's a very, very divisive time. And so today in our text, God in his sovereignty has given us a text on divisions in the church on election week of all weeks. The Lord has an interesting way of of doing those type of things. If you want to know the big idea of the sermon today, here's the big idea of of where we're at least going to try to head. The Lord's Supper is the antidote to divisions. The Lord's Supper is the antidote to divisions because it proclaims the gospel in spirit-filled power reminding us of the supernatural unity that he bought with his blood. The unity that Christians experience, the unity that happens in gospel community church as we love one another, as we serve one another, listen, was bought with Jesus' blood. He wanted us to be unified. He wanted us to be a family. He wanted us to love one another, serve one another, and be under his love and care so much that he shed his blood for it. And so it is a terrible, it is a terrible tragedy when within the church we divide over things that we should not divide over when Jesus has shed his blood for us to be together. Okay, we need to get to the text. Um, So what is happening thus far? uh, I reminded you that as we started chapter 11, it puts us into a new unit in the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, 11, 12, 13, and 14 is all concerning what happens within the church, what goes on within the church service. So we moved out of the section about food offered to idols and now we're on behaviors in the church and, and, and what are we supposed to do and what is it supposed to look like when we come together to worship? That is, that is the unit of 11, 12, 13, and 14. So we begin uh, by addressing head coverings Uh, And now we're moving into the topic of the Lord's Supper. And essentially what's happening is there are deep divisions uh, in the church. Just look at 18, uh, verse 18. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. But what is so shocking about the text is as he points out their divisions, he offers the Lord's Supper as the antidote. To the division. Look at verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that Jesus, the night he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. They're divided in the church. And he says, Remember the Lord's Supper. You've forgotten the meaning of the Lord's Supper. That's why you're divided. So he offers the Lord's Supper as an antidote uh, to their division because. As you take that piece of bread, it is a reminder of Christ's broken body. As you take the juice, it is a reminder of his shed blood, which he shed for us, not only to redeem us out of sin, but to unite us as a family. Therefore, get rid of the divisions. That's the argument from the text. Now, I need to get you to the text and show you that I'm not just making this up as I go. Here we go. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. Are y'all ready to go? Let's start working on this text. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Now, look back over at verse 1 of this very same chapter. Uh, he said, uh, Verse 2, actually, uh, now I commend you because you remember me. In verse 17, he's saying, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you. I I I think if you could hear the tone of the apostle Paul in this particular text the the volume would be turned up a little bit there there'd be a, like a vein popping out of his neck just a little bit he he would probably be pointing at them he is not happy with what they're doing he is harshly rebuking them for this type of of activity now here's what is happening uh, they are showing up, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, it's for the worse. We're going to discover that they are not focusing on the needs of others. They are only fulfilling their own desires. So, so if you're taking notes, uh, jot this down. Your church attendance should not be primarily focused on you. So sometimes when we show up to church, we show up here because we want, we want the sermon to, to touch me and to speak to me. And I want the band to sing for me. Go ahead, band, sing and perform a, a spiritual song for me so that I feel better about myself. I want somebody to pray over me. I'm here to get my blessing. Amen, somebody help me. I'm, I'm here for me to get my blessing. When the attitude in our hearts should be, how can I be a blessing to others? I'm not showing up so that, so that I get blessed. I'm showing up to be a blessing to other people. I want to pray for somebody. I want to share an encouraging word with somebody so that, so that I'm blessing somebody else. Now, you've got to get the order right because if you show up to be a blessing to other people, you will be blessed. But if you show up just to receive your blessing, you ain't going to get nothing. So they were showing up, focused on themselves, intent on fulfilling their own needs, neglecting the needs of other people, denying the radical supernatural unity that Christ had purchased with his blood. Verse 18, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. Now, in chapter one, he, he introduced this idea of divisions. Do you guys remember that? Where, where they said, I am of Paul, I am of Cephas. I, so there, there were these theological divisions within the church where they had theological disagreements and, and they were all lining up under uh, who they thought their theological champion was gonna be. These divisions here are different in the sense that they're not theological, uh, they are socioeconomic, right? They are, uh, they're divisions in the church between rich people and poor people. These are the divisions uh, that, that they are, dealing with. Now, when we say divisions, here's what we mean. I I, want to add some clarity to this idea of divisions. Division does not mean simply to disagree, okay? Church family, are we allowed to disagree with one another? Yes, we are. Yes, we are. My wife disagrees with me all the time, and she's always right. Now, division does not mean simply to disagree. It means to diminish or destroy Fellowship, this is so important. It means to diminish or destroy fellowship and or to remove from them the common dignity you share by virtue of being in Christ. Okay, let's talk about those two ideas. First, to diminish fellowship, meaning if you back this political candidate, I cannot talk to you. I'm not gonna be around you. I can't, I can't believe that you would do that, right? That's that diminishing fellowship, that stepping away from somebody because of who they voted for, right? That is to diminish fellowship. The other idea is to destroy their common dignity, okay? This happens when we make inflammatory statements um, like uh, everybody knows uh, this political candidate is a racist and you voted for him, right? That's an inflammatory statement which diminishes the dignity of the person that you're speaking to. Do you see see how that divides? This is the type of division that we're talking about. We're talking about removing yourself from fellowship from someone, or or making inflammatory remarks about who they voted for or or what, uh, what group they're associated with in such a way that robs them of their common dignity which we all share and find in Christ. That's division. That's what we cannot and must not do at Gospel Community Church. Amen? Okay. That is exactly what was happening in this church. They were dividing over CNN and Fox is what was going on. Now, what we must remember is 1 Corinthians chapter 8 The beginning section in verses one and three. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge, but this knowledge puffs up, but love does what? Love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. Let me just read verse two again on that. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Here's the key, church family. This is a long one, but hang with me. Treat other believers like they are sons and daughters of the Most High God, filled with the power and might of the Holy Spirit and a physical manifestation of the reconciling and healing power of God. That's how we treat one another because that's who we are. Do you believe that about yourself, Christian? Do you know that you are the son and daughter of the most high God, filled with the power and might of the Holy Spirit and a physical manifestation of the reconciling and healing power of God? That's you. And so you should treat other believers just like that even when you disagree with them. Don't treat them like they are dumb because they don't agree with your idea. That's not how Christians operate. That's how the world operates and we are to be remarkably different. Now, watch what's next in verse 19, because if you understand it, it shows you the beauty and the majesty of the sovereignty of God, even over divisions in the church. Did you know God is sovereign over everything? God is even sovereign over divisions that do happen in the church. Verse 19, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you might be recognized. (laughs) What does that mean? Well, it means that God is sovereign over divisions in the church, so much so that when somebody gets their feelings hurt over a particular issue that you said too much on or you didn't say enough and they leave the church, okay, that shows that maybe they weren't a part of the church at all to begin with. And the people that stay unified under the gospel of Jesus Christ, it shows that they are genuine. Therefore, refining the church and God in his sovereignty uses divisions and uses people leaving the church in order to refine the church. <laughs> okay, that's what the, that, read the verse if you disagree. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine, that is genuine Christians, genuine believers among you may be recognized. The, the people who stay united under the gospel those are the genuine believers. We're, listen, church family, we're not united under any political party. We're not united under any anything else other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the people who stay and say, yeah, we put the gospel first before anything at all. Those are the people who were shown to be genuine. The truth is people are going to leave gospel community church. We know that, it's already happened. People leave the church because I say too much on issues. People leave the church because I don't say enough on other issues. And the truth is you might find yourself in a community group where you're discussing how to properly discipline a child and you might disagree with somebody in the community group Uh, you might get into a conversation about oh okay i'll just say it you might get into a conversation about vaccines and somebody has this opinion and somebody else has this opinion that's fine we're not united under vaccines We're, we're not united under anything other than the gospel of jesus christ feel free to disagree but don't divide Mature Christians know how to disagree without dividing, without diminishing fellowship, without belittling that other person. Have your own opinion about vaccines. Have your own opinion about what political candidate you think you should back, but do not diminish fellowship or demean another believer. This is the call from the text, verse 20 through 21. When you come together, it is not the Lord's supper that you eat, Verse 21, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. Wh- what? What in the world is going on in this church? So so here's what's happening in this church. The early church was actually marked by what they called love feasts, agape feasts, where the church would gather together. Think, think potluck Sunday, right? Uh, Wednesday night, the whole church gets together and... But instead of doing, like we know in the South, potluck to where you bring something and everybody shares it, that's what they should have been doing. That's not what they were doing. Look look at the verse four in eating. One goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. So they're gathering together as a church, sharing a meal. And at some point in the meal, somebody is supposed to stand up and say, now let's observe the Lord's Supper. This is the bread representation of Christ's body. Here is the wine. This is a representation of his shed blood. And they focus and remember Christ and what he had done. But instead of doing that, the person who is wealthy shows up with this big old basket. They got sandwiches, they got chips, they got pickles. They, I mean, they got the whole thing going on they got a couple bottles of wine and that deal and so the the rich person just sits there with all the other rich people who brought their own meals and they eat their own food they're they're you know popping bottles of wine they're and then the people who don't have anything in the church the poor people in the church the 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 the, some of these people were even slaves that they show up and they don't have anything to eat and 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 there's this divided group over there, sitting there, half drunk. They're stuffed. Oh, I couldn't eat another bite. And this guy doesn't have anything at all. This is what was going on in the church. The rich people who all believed the same things, shared common experiences, likely supported certain political figures, they all stayed together. And the poor people who had different views of the world, different education, different backgrounds were pushed off to the side. There was division in the church. They were not acting like Supernaturally unified believers, like Christ had purchased with His blood, verse twenty-two. What? <laughs> the explanation. The, the exclamation point is like you, you should circle it, highlight it, underline, it, do whatever. He, he like he is he's appalled by this activity, by this behavior. Do you not have houses to eat and drink in, or or do you despise the church? and humiliate those who have nothing. They were humiliating those who had to, can you imagine how awkwardly they felt with no food at all, sitting and watching these other people just gorge themselves, probably likely just pretending like, oh, I'm I'm actually not hungry. You know, it was humiliating to them. And, And what Paul says here, or do you despise the church of God? Now here, I read that verse several times this week and I thought to myself, if you could get that group, right, the, the group that's showing up and eating all their food and getting drunk and, and ignoring the other people, if you could ask them, hey, do you guys despise the church of God? What do you think they would say? They would likely say, no, we love it. You know, they're half drunk anyway. They're happy. Yeah, we love the church. So, in what way then are they despising the church of God? In what way? are they doing this? They're doing this by intentionally or unintentionally disregarding the needs of their fellow believers. Whether intentionally or unintentionally, they despise the church by disregarding the needs of others in the church. If you're taking notes, Christians are intentionally acquainted with the needs of other believers. Christians are to be intentionally, intentionally acquainted with the needs of other believers. This is why we share life with one another, so that we can discover the needs of the people around us and help meet their needs. Is, is, is somebody in your community group, is their marriage in trouble? Pray for them. Is somebody in your community group, they, they, they can't pay their bill? Help them. Right. This is the type of people, this is the type of community that we're supposed to be. Is somebody feeling depressed, discouraged, filled with anxiety about everything that's going on in the world today? Pray for them, meet with them, talk with them. This is, this is us loving each other, being a family together, being supernaturally united because of the blood Jesus shed. That's what we're talking about. And so that's exactly not what they were doing and exactly why the apostle here is rebuking them in a very, very strong way. Okay, we at Gospel Community Church don't really struggle with being divided over economic lines, mostly because we're all pretty close. But there are some other things that uh, could divide us, and we need to set the record straight right here, right now. Listen to this. Believers do not divide over politics because we belong to an eternal kingdom. That's why we don't divide over politics. Like, vote your conscience. Do, Do what you think you need to do during this election, and if somebody else in the church disagrees with you, that's fine. Why? Because ultimately, we belong to an eternal kingdom. Christians need to get this perspective in their heads, and Christians, of all people, should not be freaking out about the election at all because Jesus still reigns. God is still sovereign. God is in heaven, bending the world to his will. Why are we worried? Why in the world are we worried? I'm not saying there's not important issues. Of course there's important issues. I love this country. I, 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 I love it. And, and, and I think you guys do too, amen? We love our country. We need to pray for our country. And we need to keep an eternal perspective on everything, an eternal perspective. We will not divide over politics. We unite on key doctrinal issues and our love for Jesus and our love for one another. That's what we're united in. We are united at Gospel Community Church on key doctrinal issues. That's why when you became a member, we laid out our doctrinal statement right? We laid the whole thing out. Here's what we believe. And we are united under those key doctrinal statements. We're united under our love for Jesus and our love for each other. We're not united under politics. Therefore, we should not divide over politics. Next, believers should not divide over positions on the pandemic because it will soon be a footnote in history. Five to 10 years from now, you're going to say, hey, you remember 2020? (laughs) That was crazy, man. That was... That was weird. I mean, that was some. And so as we as we settle into our new normal, and people are still fighting over proper precautions, and this is you know wearing, you're not wearing a mask, you're a murderer, and you know you are wearing a mask, well you live in fear, and and all this silly silly inflammatory statements, they're all going to go away. And if we're not careful, we're going to divide. We're going to diminish fellowship over you know, proper protocol in the pandemic. And five years later, we're going to discover that, that we've separated ourselves from our church family and people that we love, which is a very dangerous thing to do. So believers should not divide over positions on the pandemic because it will soon be a footnote in history. Again, let me, just like I said, I'm not saying that politics aren't important. I'm not saying that proper procedures in a pandemic aren't important. I'm saying we should not divide over them. Next, believers should not divide over social justice issues. Rather, they should work together to create solutions so the church can lead the way. Okay, We're not going to divide over social justice issues. Rather, we're going to come together, discuss those issues, and create a solution moving forward so that the church can lead the way. Instead of dividing, instead of leaving, we're going to stay together. We're going to work on these issues together as the church so that we can lead the way. Okay, here's what I want to do. I'm, I'm done preaching. What I'm going to, um, I'm really not done preaching. Um, here's what I want to do. I want to talk about just a few practical applications here um, about this topic of division. Again, my belief is that mature Christians know how to disagree without dividing. That, that's something that a mature Christian is able to do. A mature Christian can disagree with somebody's political stance, somebody's stance on social justice, uh, somebody's stance on proper procedures in a pandemic. You can disagree with them without dividing, without diminishing fellowship or diminishing their common dignity found in Christ. There's there's ways that we can do that. And I want to talk about a couple of those as we close. Number one, to those with whom you disagree, say, Help me understand and then actually listen. This is this is a very easy common practice that every Christian can do because I've been in conversations, I've been in plenty of political debates, plenty of conversations about the pandemic and all this kind of stuff, and you hear somebody say something and to you it sounds like, a, like you, you look like a dog that heard a high-pitched whistle. You go, huh? Like it comes out of their mouth and in your mind you go, that person's crazy. And you go, huh? You believe what? You think what? You huh? At that point, you need to hit the brakes. That's the point that instead of throwing out the inflammatory remark, you're insane for believing that, you have no idea what you're talking about, right? That, that just sets things on fire, that creates division. You say, help me understand that. So here's, here's, what, here's where I'm coming from, and what you're saying is opposite from that. Can you help me understand, right? That's what mature Christians do, and then they actually listen. Number two, get out of your own echo chamber. Get out of your own echo chamber. You have the news source that you like to listen to, the podcast that you like to listen to, everybody likes to go on the internet and Google search the articles which back up your already created position. And so what we need to do is get out of our own echo chambers and be willing to listen to the opposition in a sincere way and it's actually better if you know the other side. It's better. It's better to know their position so that, one, you can figure out if you're right or wrong, which, of course, you're not. But, um, <clears throat> but you, you now know their position, and you now know the reasons why they would say that, and you can help humanize them instead of demonize them. Okay? Get out of your own. Third and last one before you all get mad at me and leave. Number three. When it comes to complex issues, derogatory one-line slogans are very unhelpful, okay? We're talking about incredibly complex issues. Um, The the political climate that we're facing, that we're looking at, is it complex, church family? It's very complex. And so one-line derogatory statements are very unhelpful. All of the social justice issues that we're facing, it is a very complex issue. And again, statistics and one-line derogatory statements are incredibly unhelpful. The pandemic is crazy. It's very complex. And so again, one-line derogatory statements are very unhelpful. What I find is going on in our country and in our world is that we have lost the art of slow, nuanced, and respectful conversation. This is what is happening. And so Christians need to be at the forefront of leading the movement of slow, thoughtful, nuanced, respectful conversations. That's what Christians need to be doing in our day and age. Well, if I didn't offend you by talking about head coverings and the role of men and women, maybe I did uh, in this sermon today. But here's what I want us to, to remember, that... 10,000 years from now, when we are singing the praise of Jesus in glory, these things are going to seem very, very small. When, when we are on the, uh, on the back end of the chorus of amazing grace as we sing to King Jesus uh, in heaven, actually united together as a forever family, when we are there on that day, when Jesus' face is revealed to us in glory, all of these things will seem very, very small. Let us keep that perspective. Let me pray for us. Oh, Lord, keep our eyes and our minds on the eternal. Help us to wade through these issues in a respectful way, in a thoughtful way, in a nuanced way, in a way that honors other people. But Lord, keep our mind on that great and final day when the clouds will be rolled back as a scroll, when the trumpet will sound, when the Lord will descend, when all the saints will be given resurrection bodies and we will live forever on the new heaven and the new earth. And the great kingdom, the forever kingdom, the kingdom uh, which will cover everywhere all the time, Will be instituted and we will be your subjects and we will serve you we will love each other we will be united into our forever family forever Mm -hmm. let our minds focus on that day let our hearts be tuned into that day and let that great and final day be the lens through which we view all of these issues Keep us together. Lord, you have done a miraculous work at Gospel Community Church, keeping us united. We are a people that are united in the gospel. This is a miraculous work that you have done. Continue to let it be so. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.
1: Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.